Hey everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. This is a fun topic. We were chatting about this uh, this morning. And uh-huh. I think it's it's really is something that, that you and I both in our respective lines of work have have dealt with a lot, which is the urban legend aspect of things. Sometimes, which when you dig into them is really, really interesting and, and it just leads to more and more. And sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And sometimes the legend is true. That's the scary thing. <laughs> so true so true um and i and i'm i'm curious because we have we have obviously we chatted about the bullet points but we have not actually like you and i have not specifically talked about this there 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 are some of these these legends that you dig into and to me they're mm, what's the best way to say it it's like when you when you're first exposed to the concept of folklore uh, and you could be exposed to it as a teenager. You could be exposed to it as a as a transplant. <clears throat> and it seems like you're you're almost inundated with oh, there's these really cool things. But the more you dig into them, sometimes the more shallow or non-existent that it actually turns out to be. And mm-hmm. that with with that approach or with that concept then for myself as a as editor-in-chief of State of the Ozarks and you know working on and people you know fairly rapidly come to realize that I work on stories like this then I get inundated with sort of like the top 10 and yeah I I kind of like there, there's a part of me that's like oh thank you so much for saying that not gonna pursue that one even any further <laughs> because I know there's not necessarily a whole lot there uh, but thanks right. for sharing. And then in other cases, it does uh, come to some very surprising conclusions, and you find out, oh my goodness, there really is a lot there. Does that is that similar to some of your experiences? I think so. Um, I mean, sometimes the well, sometimes urban legend certainly is more dramatic than the, the reality, um, and that's what gives them traction. But and sometimes some of them you just really wonder how it ever came about to begin with um and then some of them yeah i I just you know politely say okay and go on um and something we were we were discussing before we went on here i do apologize to people because i wanted to hit something out of arkansas but most of most of the quote urban legends in arkansas are you know really fall into a different category or were true. <laughs> so if you are from Arkansas and you're listening, please send us your urban legends. We would like to hear them. Yes, yes. I mean, there's a fantastic one, the Dawboy Equipment, Arkansas, but unfortunately it is a true story. It's a rather creepy, true life story, but it's not an urban legend. Yeah. Um, but, and that may be for another day, but uh, we kind of had this as, uh, urban legends a to z and we did that for a reason other than obviously the bookends because two of the biggest of course are albino farm and zombie road zombie road oh my gosh so let's um let's start let's start with albino farm um tell okay. me tell me your your experience and uh what's true what's not true and what is the legend 
Okay, well, I mean, the, the legend really goes back, I mean, it, it's an area outside of Springfield, Missouri. Uh, it's been known as the, uh, the Sheedy Farm, uh, Springlong Farm, uh, Headley Farm. Um, the Shees uh, owned it from 1923 until about 1980. And that's when it became, the legend grew up, was around World War II shortly after. Mm. And not there, there's not really a whole lot as to why it started other than the Sheehy's were a large family, large Irish family, nine kids. And what they did is when the parents died, their will gave everything to all the kids. All, all nine kids then had wills that as each of them died, everything was given to the other siblings until the last sister died in about 1980. And so you had the same group of people out there for a very long time, but for some reason, albinos came into play. And I, I've never been even heard that, you know, that there were albinos in the family or anything, but you had, you had the scary caretaker version, which you get in a lot of urban legends. Supposedly, mm -hmm. the family turned it over to a caretaker. It's always amazing to me how families just, oh, here's a farm, now just stay here. But um, it's it's, uh, it's it's under yeah, the it's it's <laughs> under the Scooby Doo it's under the Scooby Doo clause of handing your property over to things. <laughs> That's true. True. And um, some versions of that story were that he would that he would chase trespassers off with a hatchet. But that really seems to kind of get crossed up with that the the uh, Hatchet Man's Bridge legend in the Springfield area, and that's much older. Uh, I think again, I think it's sort of the Scooby Doo factor. You get an albino, you get a caretaker, and you throw in a hatchet. You know, and, and I almost remember that episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's a bit. I mean it's classic Scooby Doo. Um, Another version was, and this is around World War II, and I, and I wonder if it's because there was a prisoner of war hospital in Springfield at Pythian Castle, mm -hmm. um, that there were a bunch of albinos sequestered somehow on the farm. Again, no reason why, why would we sequester albinos to begin with, but that's the version. And then there is... The ultimate Scooby-Doo version, albinos trapped on the farm by a mad scientist. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, documentation, uh, what, what really shows uh, from records is they had to call the police out a lot to run people off. You had a lot of trespassers. They'd even try to start bonfires, things like that. And then the family, um, even after the last child died, um, and there were like uh, nieces and nephews, they tried not to talk about it because it's it's just been you know so many stories, you know they feel like the family's gone gone through enough. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> you have all that. Some people say it's haunted. Um. I've never really found anything to indicate anything like that. 
but really, I mean, it's a classic urban legend of, I'm not really sure where the idea of albinos came in, but it got traction and just blew up. And blew up. And I think something that is, is interesting, and just as a, as a point counterpoint on this, uh, a lot of times that you do see, pardon me, that you do see when you have, um, um, especially private property that becomes associated with an urban legend outside of the owner's will, that it can, first of all, attract people who ultimately damage the property, and that in some cases may make uh, living at the property untenable to to you know to the owners. And to me, this is the the opposite of what a respectable investigation is about. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, it really, I mean, just having lived in the, uh, in the Springfield area, my college years and everything, it was just this big topic, hey, you know, about the albino farm. And sometimes people didn't really know where it was and that kind of thing. But it, it just, it got this mystique. And, it, and I hate to say it, but it really, it really had the characteristics of a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that cliche, and there's no real reason for it. Sometimes, right. you know, there, there's a grain that you understand why, why it got there. And that's, if we jump over the zombie road, that's kind of, it's a little different. Not a lot, it, but a, a little. <laughs> so where, and, and so for folks who don't know, where is the zombie road? Or quote-unquote zombie road. Okay, well... The Zombie Road is actually the Lawler Ford Road. It's out just outside um, St. Louis. It's near, uh, it's in a wooded area near Glencoe. And it actually runs um, into near a Ford on the Merrimack River. It's about a two mile long passage through the forest, which I think is one of the impetus of the urban legend because you're out in the forest. There's this this road and you know it's creepy at night and it was I mean Indians quarried went there for hundreds of years it was first settled in like 1803 by a, 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 the Hamilton family and then in the 1850s it gets sold and then the Pacific Railroad runs a spur through through one end of the road so you have a railroad there then there's tales of, here, here's sort of the impetus of a, of a, a legend, is in the 1870s, there's a, a lady who, uh, who was the wife of a judge there in St. Louis, that she ended up being hit by a train and died there. Okay. Okay. But we really... It, it didn't get the, the name of Zombie Road until probably the 1990s, maybe the 1980s. And mm -hmm. the idea was that zombie spirits of the railroad workers would rise up and walk the road and, and this kind of thing. Um, maybe, oh, and, and we do have, there is a tale of supposedly uh, the other version is zombie was the nickname of an escape mental patient who ran to the area 
from a nearby okay. mental asylum. But we, there really is no mental asylum nearby. We don't know, you know. And why zombie? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like why albino. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of the other thing there is during Prohibition, it, it was an area that you had some speakeasies, so and gangsters, and there was there are tales that certain St. Louis gangsters kind of dumped bodies in the area, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. then later on, some people, there's stories of supposedly people practicing the occult there, which you're in the middle of the woods. That's part of that. But the zombie is just kind of, I think it was a good name. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, in, in the case of uh, I, some, just some, some notable things that jump out to me from a social, you know, cultural standpoint, <clears throat> in the case of the albino farm, you're you're within close proximity of a large uh urban population springfield and with uh, uh also a large college population and of course the st louis metroplex the same only magnified i i think something that is is interesting to me and this is just me extrapolating based on you know our conversation right now but there there's very much a 1980s 1990s horror vibe uh, pop culture horror vibe to the zombie yes. road uh, with uh, with um, with St. Louis with the St. Louis region <clears throat> and and I feel like the albino farm uh, aspect you know that the the urban legend of that began perhaps ten years earlier if it does and this is not being you know actually not making a joke even though I you know do joke about this a lot uh, you know is really at the height of literally of scooby-doo in pop culture and there are those mm -hmm. cross ties so I, I think part of <clears throat> part of part of what i feel like is important that we bring to the table of dark ozarks is you know again our tagline sometimes there are no easy answers but sometimes the difficult answer is this was made up by college kids yeah i mean it's you know i mean it's a good story but it's just that i mean um mm -hmm without much meat i mean and i can tell you from oh, in my area that there's a couple of examples that that mirror that um one is called one is colbert farm again a farm uh mm -hmm. which it, it it's a it's along a rural road outside carthage missouri basically what's left are a couple of chimneys and it started out as a farm and it became a summer camp summer camps are always big in urban legends we just yes, have they to are. look at the. Uh, <laughs> we just have to look at Crystal Lake, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and um, so and then later, you know, it just kind of, you know, it got sold, fell in disrepair. They tore the buildings down, but the chimneys are there. And in the last, say, fifteen years, it, a, a legend has grown up that it's the witch's road. Supposedly, witch, okay. a witch lived there, and. You know, she cursed the land and things like that, and it's like no. <laughs> and that's a really new one. It's that, that's only been going wow. around about 15, 20 years. Yeah, that is new, and it's you know, and I think what is what is interesting is the the counterpoint to that. Right in in your neck of the woods is Spooklight Road, which is not an urban legend. Yes. No. 
But, you know, ironically, as, as we were talking this morning, um, the spook lodge is, is definitely some sort of natural phenomenon, and it's been, you know, observed for hundreds of years. And to be honest, for a very long time, it was a, it was very much a tradition, a family tradition. You, you pile in the car and you went out and you, you looked for the spook right in any given night, particularly a summer night, there might be 50, 60 cars out there. Um, once they paved the main road and there's no parking access right there, uh, that's pretty much fallen away. And there's a lot of kids, I say kids, that say for at least 30, 35, that really didn't get that experience and they think it's an urban legend. Right. That is, that is a very interesting uh, counterpoint aspect to that, to that culture. Yeah, because, oh, I just thought that was a legend. You hear that. And mm -hmm. uh, there's another, um, actually, or not far from the Light Road, is Hoffman Mansion, and it has an urban legend that grew up around it. Very similar. It was a family land from the Hoffman Quapaw family, one of the founding families of the, the Quapaw tribe. And Mr. Quapaw made a fortune in oil in Oklahoma, bought the land there, and raised his family. They had a very large family and had a number of children die of smallpox. And there's a family cemetery there and there's tall graves. Uh, over time, the main house burned and there was a caretaker, <laughs> there was a caretaker house there and they did keep a, a caretaker on, on site. Um, and so urban legends grew up that uh it that it had been in the past a summer camp again same themes and that the caretaker had killed the children at the summer camp um and so and it's like no none of that happened you know um <laughs> the family owned the land up until about a year ago they sold it just recently and someone's built a new house uh where the house was um and then it really kind of spurred up about 15 years ago again because uh, police found a burned out van sitting on the property that appeared to, with a body of it that appeared to be a drug deal gone bad. Mm. And so more legends came up that a caretaker had killed this guy and this kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so you have those, those recurring themes in these legends. Well, and, and of course, we've got, you know, a number. One of the things that I, uh, I, I find personally interesting, you can Google, um, you know, haunted locations in Missouri and come up with a, with a number of, of theaters or venue locations in Branson. And mm -hmm. some of those I can, I could, you know, speak on from, from things that people have said. Others, I'm going, this is, this is late 90s early 2000s kids on the internet who are no longer kids they would have been you know people my age uh, going what can we make up i'm quite confident of it not saying that there's not paranormal activity in this area and and i think one of the things that that is is an interesting dichotomy that it's oftentimes pushes things into an either or is that the the individuals who are quote unquote debunking some of these urban legends 
oftentimes are very dismissive of real paranormal activity. And sometimes people who are, are, are very much in favor of understanding paranormal activity simply take everything uh, with, with no analysis yeah. whatsoever. And, and I think it's important to, to bring, first of all, a, a certain level of analysis and skepticism to any situation, but also an open mind. Exactly. I mean, and, and to be honest, now, say Zombie Road, could there mm -hmm. be paranormal activity there? And there's certainly been claims of it. Mm -hmm. With a lot of the events there, sure, you've got you've got yes. a number of murders that you know uh, from gangsters. You've got the the woman killed by you know the train and so forth. So there could be. So yes. whether or not the urban legend is true is a separate right. issue in some cases. But yes. yeah, sometimes they just get wound up and 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 it it gets blown up um, much bigger. And and, and one one. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of the one of the things that, to me, and and this may be different for each person, but to me, something that is a red flag. I'll find it interesting culturally, but that is a red flag is when you get the same story told over and over, but in different locations. Um, the the children's handprints on the back of the car. Um, I think the earlier an earlier version of that is. The, uh, the Indian princess who threw herself off of a cliff uh, yes. and, is then, and then haunts the site of her suicide. Uh, of course, <clears throat> we, have a, we have a location uh, on Table Rock Lake called Virgin Bluff. And it's, it has the, the resultant um, quote unquote, in this particular case, I really question whether or not it is an Indian legend uh, and would say it is probably you know, uh, white folks legend about Indians, um, non-existent Indians in many cases, because, mm -hmm. and, and not to be, not to be dismissive. And I think for people who follow us know that, that when we are dealing with, with real paranormal activity, when we are dealing with, with real folklore and legend, I'm not dismissive, dismissive of it. Um, no, but me either. I, 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 there's a point that I'm going, if if that many Indian princesses were suicidal, throwing themselves off cliffs because their lover could not be with them, wow, <laughs> that's yeah. a high suicide rate among Indian princesses. And, and actually, you know, I think I've I, I, I've read before that there's at least one of those locations with that legend in every state in the continental U.S. <laughs> Very fair. Very fair. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm gonna. I know it's not his fault, but I'm just gonna blame Washington Irving. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna say at some point he wrote the legend, uh, or Longfellow, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He wrote Hiawatha. Um, so I'm going to yeah. pretend as though he wrote a, a a fictional story about a fictional poem about a suicidal Indian princess. He didn't well, really, whatever, to my whatever you know. Well, I mean, it's I think, and why why those legends are so prevalent? I think is the same reason that pe people still show up to uh, to watch Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely, absolutely. I I could not agree more. It it pulls at the heartstrings. There's an emotional connection, 
And, and I think that, that from a cultural perspective, <clears throat> that especially as white settlers moved in, uh, in, you know, and across North America, they were aware that there was a culture that had preceded them. And, and I, I think that, that uh, poems, which honestly, you know, two of my, two of my favorite poems of all time is The Village Blacksmith and Hiawatha by Longfellow. And sometimes, you know, his work, uh, again, viewed through a modern lens, uh, is is critiqued for creating an overly romanticized or patronizing view of of First Nation peoples. And while that does have uh, a certain amount of accurate representation to it, uh, you have to view it within its time. And yes, you know, art has to be appreciated within the context that it was created. Um, and in <clears throat> in order to really understand it and to give it its due. It's important to look at it from a through a modern lens as well, absolutely. But you you really got to look at it from the point that it was created. And I would, if from my perspective, and of course myself growing up in an area that that I was aware that uh, that there had been Native American people in you know on the land, traversing through the land that I grew up on. <clears throat> you wonder what what was that like? What who were these people? Um, and it's not difficult, especially as a child, my sister and I would, we didn't actually play cowboys and Indians. We played Indians. We pretended like we were foraging on a regular basis. And sometimes we really were. And, um, <laughs> it, it was, it, it, you know, there's something elemental about connecting with this idea. And I think that's part of the, yeah. the, the Virgin Bluff, uh, the suicide you know, the plunging, the Indian princess plunging to her death. I think that speaks to it. And that culture is also, you know, that, that settler culture is also valuable. These were real people as well. Oh, I, I agree. And, and, and that is, you know, I think there's some of this does come out of even, you know, zombie road for an in, instance, uh, Hoffman mansion, definitely. And it, it and that one is mixed up in settler uh, culture and Indian culture because it was both. Yes. And um, albino uh, farm to a degree too, and not mm -hmm. understanding because that family stayed on the land and just didn't sell everything off, and it so it, it became a mystique. Yeah. And so not understanding that we are. Getting close to seven thirty. Is there anything that you want okay. to throw out to wind up? Uh, let's uh, let's talk about. I, I want to talk about my experience with the Billy Cook story because I originally thought that was an urban legend. Okay. And I think it's it's particularly poignant because it's it's the reason that you and I ended up meeting to begin with four years ago. Uh -huh. And uh, of course, a big shout out to uh, Curtis Copeland who is a great historian, Ozarks historian. And he was the one back in September of 2016 who threw out this story and said, Josh, I really think State of the Ozarks should investigate Billy Cook. And I'm going, Billy who? Because, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the regional aura is in the, the Tri-State Mining District and I'm down here in the White River Hills. And the first thing that happened was I, I looked it up 
and went on, you know, Googled it, <clears throat> and I found three articles. I uh, found, you know, and I and I, I looked over those three articles, and honestly, I went, well, shoot, this story's already been told. There's nothing that I could uh, <laughs> confirmably add <laughs> uh, because clearly, you know, look, there's three articles, and something that I've always strive to do with state of the ozarks is is bring new material to light and i'm going it i i don't want to rehash other people's work um i don't want to copy i'm not going to copy and paste and if there's not a lot to be dug into if it's already been covered then so be it so i kind of broached that subject with curtis and curtis responded by going no i think there's more to it i think you need to look into it and so we uh, we move forward, and the the first thing that <clears throat> the first thing that happened uh, on that <clears throat> was going to Peace Cemetery, and it happened to be a day in October uh, that uh, <laughs> we ran into each other for the first time. Yeah, that was that was uh, you know the reason that that that's what brought us together in terms of working together on these projects. <clears throat> but then uh, mm -hmm. as I, I continue to do research, uh, interviewed you, um, interviewed Larry Campbell, uh, and started finding first person or original source material documentation on the story, I realized something very interesting. And that is that the, the articles that I had looked at originally uh, that could easily have been written off as urban legend or have been written off because they feel a little urban legend-ish. <clears throat> could have been written off that, or I, that I could have just dismissed and said the story's already been told. The thing that I came to realize was that one of the three articles was an original source article, but it had a lot of errors that a, an average internet searcher would have no way to verify that those errors were there. Now, if you interview real people and if you uh, pull real books from real libraries and do a point by point comparison, you realize that there was a lot of errors. And, the set, mm -hmm. and then the two other articles were essentially copy and paste rehashes of the first article. And so they consequently copied over many of those historical inaccuracies. And that was very eye-opening to me as a journalist, uh, as a compare, you know, to to see that these stories, of course, um, was it 59, 60 with Billy Cook? 1950, 1950. Okay, okay. Uh, that these stories, um, even if it's past and it's history, uh, that there's still a lot that we can bring to the table, whether, of course, through a series like this by Dark Ozarks uh, or through, uh, you know, publishing new articles, we can bring a lot of new dialogue and at the very least bring accuracy. Well, yeah, and, and, and I, I'm fortunate for, you know, being here and, and have written on Billy um, and I do a lot of public events. I have I have firsthand accounts brought to me yeah. uh even as recently as months ago 84 year old man uh, uh was at an event and, and told a first-hand account of rain into billy the night that billy dumped the bodies of the Bozier family in the mining shaft but he didn't realize it at the time 
and then after the fact realized that he he came real close to being killed probably um, yeah just chilling is absolutely chilling yeah and and even though i mean you know you stop and think in a few months uh we are going to be 70 years past the killing spree wow but personal stories keep coming keep coming forward yes yes that's incredible absolutely incredible yeah yeah and then and the flip side and then the flip side of that is even here where billy is so well known because he was from here um younger people often will say oh i thought billy cook was just an urban legend right <laughs> uh the boogeyman that somebody told you about to- the boogeyman. Yes, they they a lot of younger people think that Billy Cook really was the boogeyman that their parents made up to try to keep them from hitchhiking, etc. And I would, and I think this would be a good a good point to wrap up on. But something that I, that I think my research verifies, your research verifies, we we might have a good time spooking ourselves out you know, especially as kids or or young adults telling these super gory pop culture stories. But if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, if you really want to take that step, the reality, the realities of dark Ozarks is much more terrifying than the pop culture stories that are created uh, just for the fun of it. Oh, definitely. Um, urban legends are fun, but the, the the reality is a lot darker and and a lot more of a cautionary tale. And certainly, yes. Billy represents that. And he Very did become so. the reason. He really did become the reason that our entire nation stopped hitchhiking. We yes. just don't know that it was Billy. Yes, it destroyed the faith of uh, of an entire yes. society in one killing spree. Yes, it did. And that is something that we will be talking about in depth. So yeah, absolutely. I wanna I just wanna ride a nineteen fifties car. Vintage nineteen fifties car and we're old route sixty six. We can we can we can make that happen. Okay, that's good. That's good. But we're not picking up any hitchhikers. Oh shoot, no. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, I'm gonna have okay. to have to have to bid y'all adieu. But uh, good times, good Friday night, everybody. Good times. Yes, <laughs> and thank you for listening in. Let us know if you have uh, topics you want us to cover, and we'll be back here Monday night. Absolutely, and uh, follow us here on Dark Ozarks on Facebook. Share with any of your friends around the world who are interested in the dark and the noir of middle American history. And also check us out on Instagram at dark underscore Ozarks. Yes. And uh, have a good weekend, everyone. See y'all. Bye.